Tobias Carlyle is the founder and principal of Acquire's Funds. For regulatory reasons, he will not discuss any of the Acquire's Funds on this podcast. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Acquire's Funds or affiliates. For more information, visit acquiresfunds.com. Hey, it's Tobias here. If you want to learn a little bit about my firm or see my portfolio, head on over to acquirersfunds.com. And we're live. It's 10.30 a.m. on the West Coast, Best Coast, 1.30 p.m. on the East Coast, 12.30 p.m. in uh, Chi-Town, where Bill is. How are you, Bill? Um, okay. 5.30 UTC. Yeah, I had to listen to Wells, so, you know, that's not exactly the way to start your day. If That'll you want pull the wind out of your sails. Come on, let's get the energy up on this, baby. <laughs> kick in the nuts to start your day. And JT, what's happening? Just living the dream on the West Coast. It's, uh, yeah, I'm trying, I'm not, uh, I'm not, I don't have the Wells blues at the moment, but... It doesn't mean I couldn't get him. You get there. I get you into it. Uh, Going to be shutting down again for the big C. Ugh. Never ends. Dude, I'm supposed That's to go to Florida be. next month, and I'm watching this curve. I hope it slows. Just just get in a little town and batten down the hatches. You'll be right. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, that's where we're going. So Saskatoon, Canada. Yeah. Oh, what's that, up? Yo, get the potash prices up, Saskatoon. Do something. Switzerland, Seattle, <laughs> Portland, Oregon. What's happening? Captiva Island, streaming from the beach. India, in the house. Who wants to? Captiva whose intro Island, is it? I appreciate you. <laughs> Bangalore. Do something better with your day. Hey, Toby, is it your birthday? Toronto. Oh my yeah, God! Yeah, yeah it is. Uh, <laughs> what? Birthday. I was hoping to Happy sneak birthday. it through. Thanks, fellas. Nope. That's very kind. Uh, my watch. <laughs> Bastille Day. Uh, that was a good time. <laughs> your intro since it's your birthday. Oh, no, that's very kind. Welcome to Value After Hours. I'm Tobias Carlisle. Uh, I'm joined, as always, by Jake Taylor and Bill Brewster. Jake, what is your topic today? Uh, I'm going to be talking about the fundamental blind spot that all of us probably have. Not me. <laughs> Except for you, the one guy. Uh, and uh, Bill, what's, what are you talking about today? I was going to talk Malone, but given my morning, I think I'm going to talk Wells. We can do both. Why, why talk about something good when you can talk about something terrible? Well, I'm going to be talking about something good. I tweeted this out on Friday. I truly believe it. I can't believe he doesn't get any credit for it. Warren Buffett has pulled off the greatest trade ever, and nobody seems to have noticed. It's such a funny thing. It's... Uh, it's something I'm going to be talking about uh, right after this, probably. Da, 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 da. There's the intro music. What do you want to do, fellas? Should we kick it off with the good stuff? Kick it off on a high note? Yeah, Toby, you go first. So, uh, uh, you know, I, I, love that, I love that Greg Zuckerman book, uh, The Greatest Trade Ever, where he talks about um, uh, Paulson getting his, um, you know, turning his fund into like a multi-billion dollar fund. He'd been, a, he'd been an ARB. Uh, being a risk up, merger up, you know, doing making some money, but not 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 very well known. And his offsider Palo Pellegrini comes in and says, um, "Have you noticed that if uh, stock, if real estate prices just stop going up, then uh, all of this housing crashes down?" And so he puts on this, creates this fund, puts on this big trade. Probably they stole it from Mike Burry. I don't know. Mike Burry might have been the one who came up with it. Paulson makes like. $10 billion or something like that in the fund off like a billion dollar position, so 10x. Um, but, you know, putting in a billion and he could have dusted the lot. That gets an entire book written about you as the greatest trade ever. And I just, I was like, I've been seeing all of these things about how much Apple now makes up in Buffett's portfolio. So it's uh, it's 20% of Berkshire Hathaway. It's 40 something percent of his book. It's 120% of book value, I think. (laughs) That would be very high. That would be very high quality book value. And Berkshire should be getting some credit for that. But basically, he put in at the numbers, the last numbers that I checked, it was like a $36 billion investment, which is a, which was already a sizable chunk of the book. And it's a $92 billion as of the close on Friday. So he's made $56 billion 
he's been in the position, I, I know since like 2016, but the position has grown considerably over that period of time. And I just think it's crazy, like completely flies in the narrative that Buffett's completely lost it. Buffett doesn't like tech. He's taken this gigantic concentrated position in a very well-known company. Anybody could have done it and had this massive return and got no credit for it. So I just wanted to make sure he got some for it. What have you done for me lately? Yeah, I feel like oh, that's wait. pretty recent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's a it's a testament to how quickly we forget things and we ignore. And, and it's amazing that to do something of that size and have that result. That's really right. the, why it's the greatest ever, is because right. the, the the size of it is just almost incomprehensible. Right. And I, I made the comment uh, that you know he's a Kelly so. Uh, he's a Kelly type investor. I'm not saying that he's gone and done a Kelly calculation. I got someone in my DMs telling me that I'm wrong, that it's not a Kelly position. I know it's not a Kelly position. I'm referring to Bill T. Ziemba, who's the Kelly guru along with Thorpe, who said that Buffett, Buffett's investment strategy follows a Kelly type path. That means he takes big concentrated positions in the things that he agrees with, in the things that he likes. And he's done it again. And so it kind of flies in the face. You know, there's this... um pretty famous response to the to Kelly uh, to the Kelly theory uh, written in one word and it's just I think it's Samuelson it's just escaping me now who wrote it but it's writ- it's an entire paper written in one syllable words except for the final word which is syllable and basically says that this the idea of Kelly like maximizing your geometric return uh, is fa- is not right because there are people who you know for example you'll take a you'll take a lottery ticket bet even though you know that a lottery ticket um, you know, the, the, your expected return on a lottery ticket is you lose money on it because it's not worth what you pay for it. But you would still do it because it costs you virtually nothing. And if it, if it hits, your payoff is so big, it changes your life. And on the other end of the spectrum, if you win that lottery and then someone comes and says to you, well, I'll flip you for it, you can double it or I'll triple it. And if you lose, you give me everything. You're not going to take that bet either, even though Kelly says you should because the downside is too great. It affects your life negatively. So Kelly's imperfect, but for for a very, very large number of situations in the middle, Kelly properly sized down is a a, a fine way of doing it. And Buffett's proven it. He's he's very, very rich and he's kind of taken a gigantic Kelly position. So, I, I mean, pay that old man. He's done well. Pay the man his money. Pay the man his money. Don't splash the pot. Um, my buddy who, uh, is a pretty successful dude likes to, he, uh, he frames things through like step changes in your life. And I think that that's a pretty good way to apply like a real world Kelly bet, right? Where he's like, I'm not going to risk this unless I can meaningfully change my quality of life. And if he feels like he can, he's he'll bet. But like it, it gets harder. He's now achieved. I mean, he's the one that lives on the beach in L.A., right? So like <laughs> the next bet he makes is almost like he's got to get a jet. Uh, so he's, so like he's not he's not betting anything right now, and he thinks the entire world's crazy. Uh, and that's through the framework of like. Look at all the risk that you all are taking right now when there's like a huge business cycle risk. I'm sitting here cashed up on the beach. Why would I risk what I currently have to to like walk into this? Like this is insane. Whereas, you know, he he's sort of it's interesting. It's definitely not a textbook method of investing. He made his money flipping oil companies. As an, he was a general partner at, on the operating level within a fund. So he bet everything he had twice, and he had other people's money to play with, and he won. So, like, he's a beast. Uh, some of that's resulting. A lot of it's because he's actually very good at execution. Um, but his, his framework of how he bets is a very interesting thing that I think about a lot. I'm like, okay, is what I'm betting worth what I'm actually gaining in reality. Forget about the the numbers. Like, just is this bet worth making from a lifestyle standpoint? It's helped me sort of pare down what I like to look at and what I don't. I think that that's a little bit like, I think we were talking about it last week or uh, I think it was last week or the week before when we were talking about the farmer. You know, there's that, it's apocryphal, but the farmer who doesn't do anything for seven years and every now and again, he just 
when there's a crash, he rolls into town, buys everything that he can buy, and then goes back. And we were talking about in the context of manga, who just does nothing for years and years and years, finally gets his price in Wells, which is a subject today. And what, what, and Bank of America was that? Yeah, was that what he bought it in? Like literally yeah. pulls over the four hundred five to <laughs> to phone in the trade. That's FOMO. Dry, uh, Trevor Scott, uh, is it Tide Tidefall Fall. Capital, I think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had a tweet today that was funny. He was like, you think you're having a bad year, and he posted the Daily Journal uh, portfolio. You know, portfolio, and it's 59% Bank of America and 48% <laughs> Wells or something like that, or, or that's too Costco. many percent. Yeah, too yeah. many percent. But anyway, uh, it was funny. It was a good tweet. Well done, Trevor Scott. I like that framework that your friend has because it kind of forces you into very asymmetric bets. Yeah. Right? Like you don't take the, you don't take the you know, ten percent upside roll of the dice with a really long tail of potential outcomes that are bad. You wait until it's like, well, this is either ten x or maybe zero, but it's not going to be, it's not going to be a small outcome. It's a bit of fra- yeah. it's a bit of framework than getting bored and doing something. Yeah. I, I I question how I'm implementing it sometimes because I look at my portfolio and it skews big and it's like how the, the large seems by definition to have more of a concave than a convex uh, outcome set. So as, as part of me is like, why am I like being a salmon swimming upstream? That doesn't make a ton of sense to me. But like Charter and Transdime, we'll see on Transdime, but like Charter I bought when it was a unique operational hiccup and everybody puked it. Uh, Transdime, I think it was somewhat similar, but it was macro. Um, Wells, I'm finding harder, but we'll talk about that soon. But I, I, I sort of, uh, that would be the only way that I would defend where I play and when I typically get into things. Does that take out all of the, the big tech things then because it's like is that gonna those are, we're gonna go from two trillion for amazon to 20 trillion yeah i mean it it hasn't historically i've i've owned google for a while uh i currently own a little microsoft i've been trimming that quite a bit um and i owned amazon from like november to recently but i yeah i can't hold it here i don't i just i just like not in me to hold something at that valuation I always think those the the big round numbers are funny though, right? Like at some at some point in investing, we went through from millions to billions. And do you think people were saying, "Oh, well, no, now we're billions. Like this is this is too big." Like without considering all of the underlying, you know, it's just just ignore the. And I, I know that this is not stuff that I would buy, so it's it's clearly you know, <laughs> it's easy for me to say and not have to do it. But I do think about like, do you do you really care what you know if it's a trillion dollar company? Why why can't it become a twenty trillion dollar company? Yeah, I don't know. I just uh, it can. I, but what's a loaf of bread going to cost in that? Yeah, bowl? a lot. <laughs> <laughs> One billion dollars. Yeah. That said, man, you don't want to sit on cash while that world happens. I mean, you're not going to yeah. be able to buy much. Well, that world cash, is happening so. right now. So yeah, that's that's where, where we are. Where we are. Yeah. But, but I yeah I think um, I I don't know if you're you know it's it, Tesla. I mean, it, it, I'm sorry, we've been wrong on it forever, okay? So, but you're paying, you know, I don't know what it's trading at today, call it $300 billion. I mean, that's got to print money at some point if you think that you're going to pay $300 billion. Like, say that you want 7% on your equity, you still got to come up with $20 billion of cash flow at some point, even if you're not going to discount it. That seems to me to be a lot of free cash flow for a company like that to print, but maybe I'm wrong. I've been wrong before. I've been wrong on that particular name. I think it's always hard to imagine the numbers getting as big as they do. You know, a trillion dollar company, even 10 years ago, would have just seen absolutely, like a hundred billion dollar company seemed like a gigantic company 10 years yeah. ago. Now, like a trillion dollar company, now there's five front. an IPO of a, you know, hydrogen trucking or some shit. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You just have to have a PowerPoint presentation. You, your money good. PowerPoint <laughs> I mean, presentation about, back into a SPAC, you're done. The thing about Amazon is AWS, I, I do, I mean, I'm doing this off memory, but I do think you have like a 28% return on assets growing at 30% with a long runway. I mean, that's, 
I get why people think that that's worth a lot, but I even when I try, I can't get myself north of eight hundred billion for that company, and that's like being pretty generous. It's fifty percent haircut from here. No, no, I'm saying I'm saying like AWS. I can maybe argue over oh. eight hundred billion <laughs> at some point. Has, has... I don't. I mean, that's not a bet I want to make. I can just make the argument. You know what I mean? Like I, I would not place my chips on that valuation has that dude who did the tesla right up at five percent had a look at it <laughs> no, that's right yeah <laughs> he's like whoa hundred trillion dollar company there's a variant perception <laughs> and look like i'm not the smartest guy in that name right like i bet marcelo p lima has a lot of reasons that i'm wrong and he he might be right he obviously thinks about that stuff a lot more than i do but you know i can only handle what i can handle my brain is uh smaller than some I try to stay in my spots. Yeah, you know, well, you do better with the whatever it is, 115 IQ, acting like you got a 100 IQ than you do with a 130 acting like you got a 150. I guess. I don't know. Sometimes I wonder when I watch these uh, tech stocks rip. I think maybe I need to go lower or higher. Stocks go up, buy them. Um, should we do another subject, do another topic? Yeah, I wanted to play this when you started your segment. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know how we're going to party. I guess we'll party by talking about Wells Fargo. <laughs> there's the, we'll there's some sound issues. Who, who's, who's got the sound issues? Daniel Daniel Connor says there's some sound issues. Who's sound issues? I don't is know. Too cl- not, not close enough to the mic. Could be me. Could be me. Is it me? I think that's just we always have sound issues. Uh, and just, yeah. That's a reflexive. <laughs> don't come here for the professional production, folks. Yeah. Ugh. The, the, this is not the right place. Unpolished. Investment advice. Um, <laughs> all right. So, Wells, why are you coming here? I just <laughs> hear a bunch of guys talk like they're in a trading pod. Uh, um, let's talk about my favorite stock of the day. We we have a bank here that is printing an eighty-one point six percent efficiency ratio. For those that don't know, that sucks. Uh, <laughs> Bro, they're saying Bill. They're saying you're too quiet. I, I, I'm not having any problems hearing you, but uh, maybe just get up a bit closer to the mic, shave with it. Uh, no, everybody, something's going on. I don't know. How's that? How's this? Is that louder? How are we it's doing? Good on just, end. just try closer. I can't. Get a little bit further away. Closer. A bit further away. Fine. We'll go a little higher here. How's that? All right. Anyway. Um, eighty-one percent or eighty-two percent efficiency ratio. Terrible. Uh, you got what's what's that? What's that mean? It means that uh, their expenses are approximately eighty-two percent of their revenues. Is so you want it to be like fifty-five to sixty? They're a little high. Too many employees. Mate, you work at yeah. You you work at banks. You don't uh, you don't invest in them. It's, It's too high. Too high. Uh. $35 35 billion uh, I'm doing this off like I just did this back of the envelope if I'm wrong I'm sorry but I think I'm right 35 billion top line 27 and a half billion of expenses gets you to 8 billion pre-provision net income this year 13 billion of provisions for credit losses this year so that's something it's not mm-hmm. nothing gets you to negative five billion dollar post provision uh, statement but then I figure you got to spread the $13 billion of provisions over a credit cycle, right? That's not like you just incurred all that today. So if you normalize it, I still think they're anywhere between 5 and $7 billion of sort of normalized net income. And they think they got $10 billion of cost to take out of the entity. Uh, you got that for $98 billion it's offered? Uh, you know... There's there's a lot of shit in it. You got 28% of your loan book is in financials, not banks. So I'm going to assume that that's a lot of private equity sponsor lending. You've got uh, 6% of your books in retail, 5% of your books in energy. So you got some risk, but uh, you're, you're looking at 0.8 times tangible book value. Can you recreate that business for 80 cents on the dollar? I don't think so. What do you think about the loss provisioning you feel like it was conservative aggressive 
My accurate. opinion doesn't matter. Let's see in five years. I, I mean, look, I think that I think that there's a lot of reasons that if I was the CEO, I would be conservative. I don't know how much he knows. Uh, you know, he's been there for six months. Um, but I I do think that generally speaking, commercial banks are not where a lot of the risk is. Uh, and I think that in that entity, the asset cap really screwed them. Uh, I have a high degree of confidence that today he sent an email to his employees that echoed what he said on the call today. And I think that there's a lot of fat that's going to come out of the organization. It's the a, thing that it uh, sounded like what he said was there's a lot of outside that we take on. We've got way too many uh, consultants. We're going to yeah, gun the consultants too. Yeah, his uh, his comment on third party spend was interesting. He said he's never seen anything like it. Um, you know, I don't know. It's I guess the thing that is what bullish for the economy. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just one company, but well, I yeah. tweeted out every like there were three comments from uh, Jonathan Farrow, I think, on Bloomberg tweeted out a series of three comments from the Delta, Wells Fargo, and Jamie Dimon, all saying that uh, the underlying is pretty ugly. Yeah, I'm sort of off that that United Bond idea. Hard to switch your mind that quick on credit. But uh, (laughs) once I saw those flare-ups in the southern states, I I think it's going to be really tough to get TSA throughput uh, up here. And I, I... I think I, you got to pivot when the facts change. So I, got, I do think those are deeply subordinated. So anyway, I've got a few. I got a few good comments for you, Bill, from the from the uh, the crowd. The first one was uh, somebody's ex girlfriend worked there and she sucked. So, uh, oh, that's not good. That's not good. That's, this uh, this is the real one. <laughs> she, she might get fired. So you could take some solace in that. Uh, to invert this whole discussion, if you're a competitor like JPM or Bank of America or a regional competitor, how do you destroy Wells Fargo? How do you compete? Uh, I So if you're regional, I don't really know. Right now, if you're JPM or even a super regional, I think that you can go at them pretty hard because this asset cap is really going to hold them back. And I think that where they got really screwed through this cycle is they probably – return too much capital to shareholders they have an asset cap anyway so it's not like they could do a ton to grow but i think that you know the the march happened everybody drew their line plopped the assets on the balance sheet now all of a sudden these deals that you want to go out and do you're capped by your by your asset cap and now you got to tell clients that you had deals on the table with we actually can't do these deals and that is a really bad outcome i mean especially in banking, you're only as good as your word. So if I was anybody, I would be calling up all of their clients and pitching them new bigger deals because I'd know that Wells can't grow. So they got to get that cap lifted. But, you know, this is the age-old investing question. You're buying it at 80 cents on the dollar of book. You could pay one and a half times book for J.P. Morgan. Microsoft was a dead piece of crap company too not all that long ago. Um, So... 10 years. Wells is, Wells is not Microsoft. You're old, mate. You're old. 10 years is a long time. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm it's just a teasing. five year. No, I know. I, I, but it's a five year thesis, right? I mean, this thing, it's going to be ugly. And I guess the thing that is difficult is the difference between like Charter and Transdime to me is Charter was a one time hiccup. They were otherwise executing. Transdime, I sort of got my head around. Wells, you have like consistent underperformance, and that is harder to bet on turning around. You basically have to say management's turning over, and now it's a new leaf. I don't know. But, man, the downside here from this price level just doesn't seem huge. Famous last words. Yeah, I got up, up on the screen. You can't see it, but I got Bank of America got to like 0.4 price to tangible book back in circa 2011 when they were the whipping boy. Yeah, well, I mean, but now where are they? Yeah, so still cheap. Boy can change. Yeah, but I think, and I think that's that's the right thing to do, right? That you get new management in. He's going to clean house. He's also going to big bath the first quarter, so it's going to look much much worse than it actually is. So then he can be the big hero as uh, as it goes along, and it's probably cheap and it's a pretty good company. So it's, I mean, it's, I I don't see how. 
yeah, everything bad is already priced into it and it probably is looking a lot worse than it actually is. Or it might be that bad. I do think this is part of the issue with value when you like a, a fundamentally banking is a, a fairly decent business. You don't control your, your pricing, but you do have recurring revenue. You've got sticky relationships. I mean, there's a lot of good things about it. If you're buying it at a discount, it probably looks pretty ugly to everybody else, too. So, like, then when you have to listen to the call and see the results, like, you sort of throw up a little. But, like, that's why the price is where it is. So, how much optimism's in the price? That's the question. I agree I with you. I would argue not much. <laughs> now, now my volume's too loud. I think Jake's too, lo too low. I don't know. Whatever. You don't like it. Get out of here. <laughs> that, that, uh, it might be me who leaves. Don't stay away for too long because eventually we want to have that Twizzler that Toby's promised us. <laughs> now you, you collected in Omaha. You got to be there for the Twizzler in Omaha. Look forward to it. Uh, good discussion. What do you think, JT? You want to you want to feed us the veggies? So, in in social psychology, there's this this phenomena called the fundamental attribution error, and what all that means is that when we see we observe other people's behaviors, we assume that it's something about their personality that makes them that way, and not the situation that they're in. And for ourselves, we like to think that we're good people always and that it's the situation that is causing us to behave in a certain way and it's not that we are a certain way right and it's so fundamental to uh almost all of social psychology research that it got the name fundamental attribution error right so i uh i've been kind of looking for a what's the fundamental sort of blind spot uh and maybe even even especially in the investing world and I came across this study that was, uh, it's called the framed line task. And it's, uh, I'm gonna try to put it up here behind me, just, I know this stuff never works, but. Um, so we have this idea that, uh, that you end up with a, if you picture this box, right? It's like a, a frame and you have this line that's, that's going down about two thirds of it in the middle of it. And they, they can ask someone to, uh, to uh, look at the, to, they, they'll then show you the box again, but it'll be bigger. And then you have to redraw the, the line again. And what it shows is that people who look at, at this, they will, uh, they'll remember the, some people will remember the relationship, uh, like the ratio of the line relative to, uh, the size of the box and other people will remember the exact size of the individual little thing and then redraw it that way. Right. So it's kind of relational, uh, versus an absolute size. And what that then expresses itself as is that we, some people see the relationship between parts in their worldview more. And that tends to be more like Eastern philosophies. Uh, and in the West being more individualistic, we see the line as this you know, as its own individual constituent. And so we, we tend to see the world more as independent objects. So, so you're not, they don't specify to you how you're supposed to redraw the line. They're not saying you must draw the line proportionate to the box. What they're saying is just draw the line and you can draw. So basically there's a box. The box is then doubled in terms of diameter and uh, width, of course. And then the, if you redraw the line, the line that you redraw to, to keep the same proportions should be twice the length of a line that you draw if you're just if you're asked to redraw the line you draw the same length line if you're asked to draw it proportionate to the square you would draw one that's twice the size but there's no rule so that what you choose to draw says something about whether you're an individual or whether you're is that fair I, I, that was that was what i first thought was how it was structured when i read about it oh good this it. <laughs> yeah no it, it's actually that um they'll tell you which one to do like draw it relative or absolute okay. but depending on your disposition you're more accurate at doing one or the okay. other so the people who are more seeing the relationship between objects are more accurate in their recreation of 
the redrawing of the making it the bigger part of it, like ratio wise. That's a little woo woo. Can it? Uh, well, I don't know. I think it's like, I think it's reasonable that like you, how you, it's it's really your like, how do you observe the world? Do you th see things as little individual constituent components that you then try to like assemble together, or do you see the interplay between the the world and the pieces in it? Uh, I think it's. The, the only the only objection I have to it, the, and the only reason I say it's woo woo, is aren't there like some people are going to draw the line more accurately because they're just better at drawing stuff, and some people are going to draw the line inaccurately because they're not very good at drawing stuff, and then you're like, well, if you drew it this way, then that means that you're, uh, you know, whatever, you're an individualist, and you're like, no, I'm just I'm just better at drawing lines. Bad at art. <laughs> yeah, my line would suck. I think that they probably control for that kind of, uh, you know, artistic abilities. It's not as, it's not that complicated either. I mean, you're drawing one single line. Um, I'm just increasingly skeptical of all of these uh, social science type. I mean, and I know as a purveyor of them, I've had a few in my, in my books. So I, I, I do like them as much as the next guy likes a personality test. It's just I always, I always start thinking. I know there is a, a, a reproducibility yeah. crisis. There, let's replicate this. How do you replicate this? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's just break this back more to an abstract theoretical thought exercise. Which this was wasn't abstract. I thought we I were. Know. I thought we were abstract. No, I liked it. I, I I didn't mean to be criticizing. I just. I like it too. I, I didn't mean to chop you up. Sorry. Keep going. <laughs> it's okay. The all it is is just to um, ask yourself if if you don't even really know that type of thing about yourself, like are, do I see the world more as how the inner workings of like individual components with each other or as their own thing? Like what else am I sort of blind to in how I'm processing the information? Right. And so if you think about the investment process as taking all these inputs and, and processing them, you have to be cognizant of the different, filters and layers and lenses that you look at the world and how you process that information that's coming in and there's lots of uh you know something as simple as that which would be it would interact with every single thing that came in um you know that's why i, I kind of think it could be a fundamental blind spot uh potentially because like i said like every single thing you're looking at you're processing and you don't if you can't even tell if what's that like that initial lens that you're viewing the world boy what else are you kind of missing out on um which kind of gets you thinking like is there any room for some kind of like personality testing uh based maybe whether it's like i don't know the uh myers-briggs or strengths finder or maybe enneagram there's a bunch of different ones different modalities but taking that kind of information and and using it to adjust for your own potential blind spots. Everybody loves taking IQ, not IQ tests, but those personality tests, don't they? I see this thing like in a lot of Twitter profiles. I'm an INTJ. Is that like, yeah. is that the is that the one you want to be? Briggs. But is that the best one? Is that why everybody's? I'm an INTJ. It I must be because that's the only one I ever see. Yeah, you're bragging about, about it. <laughs> what, what, I'm definitely an E. I don't know the rest. Whatever the other stuff is. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. How about your horoscope? Yeah. <laughs> I'm a E Taurus. Thank you very much. Uh, did you listen to any of the Bill Miller interviews this week? He was on uh, Masters in Business and also Consuelo Mack. I haven't gotten to that yet. It's on my he queue. talked about uh, how philosophy has helped him a lot in investing and how like he thinks it's a, it's an interesting sort of like training ground to work through how you see things and work through what truth is. And I, I thought the the masters in business, it was a little bit more personal and he focused a little bit more on like his background and his personality and why his investment style suits is suits that. I think that uh, it was just a thought that I had while you were talking about like who you are and what you see and stuff like that. They're worthwhile discussions. I'd Not be interested right. to know what, what his are what's what how does bill look at the world well you know he's one of the 10 bill hit us up i've been trying to get what's him on the podcast i may get him on the podcast dude he's a beast the, tell him say i got a buddy that thinks you're the man i'll give him the intj <laughs> test before he comes Thanks, on damn boy get out of here because I, I saw somebody somebody tweeted out he's that there's a the 
if you see his return, if you see his returns, he seems to get quite a long way ahead of the market during bull markets, and he has a big drawdown that kind of pulls him back towards. And I'm just interested, like, what kind of personality? Like, he's clearly much more aggressive in a bull market than I like to be, for example. He likes leverage. He has a lot of look through leverage in his portfolio, and that could have something to do with it. But I think he, well, I don't think he understands it very well. Um, you know, I guess financials got him in trouble, which I'm reminding myself, however big I do decide to go on wells, I'm not doubling down after I do it. Like, I think it's cheap here. That's it. Um, it, it, and, uh, that's like a Hempton thing, right? Don't double down on leveraged, uh, business models. I think Cyclicals. that's a pretty good rule. Yeah. Um, but like Bill Miller pitched ADT and Tiva on, I think it was Consuelo Mac. And those are both really levered entities. I'm more inclined to like Tiva out of the two of those than uh, ADT just because I don't really understand why ADT is going to exist in 10 years. That seems like it's ripe for somebody to undercut them. But Tiva sort of is the undercutter. And, you know, the idea, like, you learn it from Malone if you listen to Malone. There's, there's a lot of different ways that you can support leverage. I think you just want to make sure that your cash flows are diverse and small, like small transactions, diverse transactions. You can handle a lot of leverage. And I, Bill Miller, he bailed on American Airlines. I could have helped him out of that one earlier. So <laughs> next time, hit me up, Bill. Uh, but other than that, I, I think that might have something to do with it. I think he's got a lot of look-through leverage. But over time, I think he's good at it. So might have something to do with it. I don't mean to. I don't mean to poo-poo completely the idea of the personality test. I do find it really interesting. I just, I'm conscious of this replication crisis, which is this ongoing thing where they go back and revisit even things in pretty hard, so like a lot of medical, uh, double-blind, placebo, you know, whatever, you, whatever else you're supposed to do on those tests. Just because they're doing so many, you're going to get false positives, st- statistically significant things that aren't statistically significant. And then when they recre- they try to recreate them, it's kind of astonishing how many aren't being, they're not able to uh, replicate. And I think that that would be, my feeling is that that would be more so in social sciences where, you know, for one thing, you can't do them. They, they can't be done double blind. Yeah, for sure. It's, um, well, I mean, the Sam Arbusman has this great book called The Half-Life of Facts. And like every single fact, even the most hard science physical facts like Newtonian physics had a half-life where it eventually got got disrupted by something else and we found new facts. So there's there's no doubt that, uh, you know, those, those things are always in different degrees of flux. So you got to kind of try to stay up on them. And, you know, I, I, think the, I think the problem is, is when you take it and you assume that it's just like gospel um, and not that, that it's the best that we know for now doesn't mean it's a everything is a full capital T truth. That's fair. I also watched this documentary over the weekend about the death of the universe. Uh, like that's it's it's like trillion 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 years away, but you know nothing matters, so it doesn't matter. Everything's going to yeah. die. I'm not going to know anybody. The most people that I care about when I do this mental exercise, I think four generations away is when they start to become strangers. Maybe the fifth. Right, you get to outside of my kids, grandkids, and you're just another person. <laughs> no, they, depends on how you famous you are. My kids, kids, grandkids. Clear, my kids will be happy. Cleopatra seems dead. to have a lot of a lot of people can trace their lineage back to Cleopatra, previous lives, you know. Yeah. Genghis Khan actually does have like lots of people can trace their lineage back to Genghis Khan because he killed half the world and fathered the other half. <laughs> Busy life. Let's get some let's get some questions in, fellas. Uh, if you've got anything that uh, we can ask or throw to the crowd, hit us up. Real quick on the um, on like knowing yourself. I we've talked about this before, but like I I used to play a lot of golf, and uh, when I played my best is when I was like myself, you know. And I was I was a big feel player, like. And when I really screwed myself up is when I tried to be in somebody else's box. And I think investing is the exact same. Oh, well, what's a field hey-o. player? Hey-o. Uh, <laughs> like I don't. I I'm just better. Like my the swing thought that I have is at the top of my swing. I I just think hit it to third base. Like it's just a weird feeling that I have. But that's what makes it work. 
there are other people that like tried to teach me to focus on like the, my wrist angle and stuff like that. And there are some people that are really good if they have a specific thought like that. I'm just not, I'm not that type of brain. It doesn't work for me. And I think that there are, are whoever you are as an investor, similar things can apply, but very differently. Just stay out of everybody's box. There's a big mental element to, to golf, right? <laughs> what? There's a big mental element to golf, right? It just, Guys just melt down and uh, yeah. forget how to play halfway through. It seems to be like one of the. I think I think tennis has that problem too sometimes. But I think Malcolm Gladwell wrote about it, where you just you get so stressed you just forget how everything functions and you kind of you just fall apart. And it seems to happen in golf quite a lot. I don't I don't know why particularly. It's because you're out there and the fucking ball doesn't move. It shouldn't be that hard. Right. But, you know, like it's just you thinking and it's quiet and it, you, all your demons come out. So here's a good question. Uh, what do you think you about? You can't brute force your way through it either. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, like you got to really be in touch with what's going on. But what's the question? Uh, how do you think about historical track records? It seems like folks with long-term tra- returns, like Tepper, Ackman, Buffett, Klarman, have long periods of time with weak or negative returns. That's a good question. I like that question. From Toby C. In LA. <laughs> no, that's yeah. too obvious. T. Carla. Uh, I mean, yeah. I guess I don't really know. I, I like the question, too. I don't know what the question's getting at. I think if you've listened to our discussions in the past, like, Jake, I think you like Einhorn right now, right? I do. Uh, just I not, not like you like him. I might be more bullish Einhorn than Jake is. Okay, and like what? You, not anti. Yeah, no, I know you're not. I, I guess what I'm saying is, uh, like, you guys, when you have said that you like certain investors right now that are out, like sort of down in the dumps it's because you respect who they are and their process and the research they put out um i'm inclined to feel that way too uh the problem with looking at track record is it sort of doesn't matter until the end um yeah. but you know i mean i also think i mean i've i've been pretty vocal about liking markel i think gainer's record's pretty good i have owned berkshire because it's a bet on what I think that company has achieved with them and who I think they're hiring. So I, I mean, I incorporate track record and I, I use it more as a leeway thing, you know, like charter, for instance, Rutledge has a pretty good track record in cable. So if I disagree with his decisions, like I'm the one that's probably wrong. So I think it, I give deference to track record. I do think it's striking the, uh, you know, it's, it's almost like Einhorn is two different people from, the first decade of this millennium. Finkel and Einhorn? Finkel and Einhorn. The first decade of this millennium. He was outperforming on a yearly basis by like 24.5%, which is just absurd. Like if you were putting those up as as standalone numbers, those would be absurd numbers. But to be outperforming by that number is ridiculous. So if he runs it from 96 to like 2007, just turns on these spectacular returns. Since then, he's underperformed by... Yeah, last time I looked it was it was a little while ago. Now it's a few years, but I can't imagine that's got better over this period of time. If anything, it will have got worse. It was he was underperforming by like six percent a year, something like that. It's kind of it's hard to believe that it's the same person. Dude, Dave, get on FinTwip, bro. <laughs> well, he's on. Uh, yeah, well, but he's got a, he's got an account. Just to stuff. converse he needs with. To get Elon. long all these SaaS names. What's wrong with this guy? Uh, corporate Reddit says he was mega long Apple, but sold. That sucks. Yeah, so and a, and a company Why in question. When is a long enough time frame to determine if an investor is making good returns from luck or skill? It's hard. To, I think Corey Hofstein said like 80 years for a factor. So that's that no one's no one's ever going to show. But, you know, I'd be inclined to say that Buffett's probably got some skill. Nah. Think. <laughs> but then part of it. Of course. Part I mean, of it is also. It's not just the years, though. It's how many market cycles. Uh, I think that's important. Um, you know, theoretically, guys should be growing as they're going as well. Like these aren't static things any more than I hope that the three of us aren't static in how we do things. Like we're trying to get better all the time, right? So, like, there's different. Maybe if you're on a steeper growth trajectory, you know, as far as understanding, maybe it's maybe it, like you missed the first cycle, you didn't do real well, but then the second one, you're going to do even better. Like I don't know, it's not. This whole idea of like static measurement is, I'm, I'm a little against it in that way. House Street says Einhorn used to do in-depth DD. Now he's a quant. I've never heard that before. 
What's the what's your basis for saying that? Yeah, give me your basis. What's your basis? Well, what's the, what's the evidence? Like, what's how do you know that? Is what I'm saying. You object to my to the way that I'm saying that, Brewster. No, I don't. I I just liked it. I was just piling on. Didn't he write the the book fooling the street some of the time or fooling everybody? Some, some of the, the people time, all or... the time. Yeah, I can never yeah. remember one of those things. I think that dude probably does diligence. He just may not be coming up with the conclusions that are working right now. Dude, I've told this story a few times, but I was at the Value Investing Congress. He also might be a little too rich. That's possible. Well, he's going through a divorce, so he's, or he's had his divorce. Well, then he might that get happens. real good. Bet on him now. The, but it's. I think it's all of those things are just kind of. That's all trimmings. Like the reason he's just he's a, he's a deep value guy, and deep value's just had a had a very rough run through this period of time. I honestly, I think. If you saw, I, I saw him at this value investing congress in New York, and I was sitting beside uh, uh, name just going to escape me right now, but somebody who had a back and forth with him uh, about St. Joe's when I was long St. Joe's. It was trading at like twenty two dollars. It looked like it had sixty Berko bucks in. Was on the other side of it. Yeah. Burko was on the other side, but it wasn't Burko who I was sitting beside. It was I was talking to uh, just can't think of the name right now. Stocks below net current asset value was the blog it hasn't hasn't been updated for a long time. Um, we were, he, he had been long this because he liked undervalued land and I, I like undervalued land at the time too and we were both long for that reason Einhorn had only had the name of the presentation which was if they build it they won't come and I looked at that and I thought this wouldn't be another shot at St. Joe's would it because he'd been short at like 80 bucks and he'd ridden it all the way down to 20 I'm like he's not going to short this in the hole is he but then he got up and he gave this presentation of course he was short over the course of the presentation, stock price fell from twenty two fifty to $17 and then proceeded to go lower. But the presentation was 120 slides of them having driven the streets of St. Joe's Holdings. They'd gone through their accounts in a forensic. Uh, they'd, you know, they'd pulled them to pieces. It's the most in-depth presentation I've ever seen anybody give, probably even since then. Dude, Ackman's rolling over in his... No. Well, Ackman, Ackman's the same. Ackman's up there. Yeah, maybe, maybe. So maybe Ackman's up there too. But th- this was like I, I've I've never seen anything like it before. And uh, I, I think I think he was. I sold the position after reading through his whole thing. I didn't sell it sitting in my seat with my phone. But I went I went back and read through all this stuff and then sold it at the absolute bottom, which was like twelve or fifteen bucks or something like that. And it has rallied up and it continues to survive. But his whole thesis is basically these things are just slowly liquidating, slowly liquidating assets that fund management. And so you're never going to make much money out of it, which seems to be a pretty accurate assessment. But he definitely yeah, does his work, is my one. point. He's not doesn't a quant. He, doesn't he do Greenbrick? Isn't he the guy behind Greenbrick Partners? Greenlight. No, I'm saying the Greenbrick. Yes, the, yeah, the, uh, yeah. In Dallas. I think so. Is uh, or Greenlight Greenlight Re Greenlight Re right is his? Yeah, correct. But I think that he's got uh, a. Didn't he partner up with the guy? Didn't didn't they short uh, real estate together and get together on GBRK, which is Greenbrick? Uh, now it's a twelve dollars stock. Anyway, that, that's like a development company in Dallas. I I think that's a. Whoa, that stock's had a run. Uh, Six twenty two. It was bottomed at. Now it's at the. Anyway, I digress. I got, a, I got a question on any thoughts on Ackman's Tontine spec. I love the Ack attack. I don't know that I'd buy his spec, but I like him. <laughs> I like that he went with the Tontine idea. I mean, I'm, what, that's uh, that's what, fun. Is it actually a Tontine, or is it just called it a Tontine? I, called it Tontine. I don't know. I read somewhere that uh, that you called it a Tontine because there was like. You have to hold the some options for a certain period of time for them to be good. So therefore, it, it wasn't like the classic. It's not a real tontine, right? Yeah, where death is the uh, the catalyst. Right. Yeah, Einhorn is behind Green Greenbrick. Um, I look. I think Ackman's really freaking smart. I think if Ackman stays in his lane, you make a lot of money with him. I think he gets into trouble when he gets into pharma roll-ups and Herbalife. And outside of that, which there were huge bets, and he risked a ton of reputational capital on and uh, ultimately was wrong. Yeah. I mean, you know, but look. Look at his track record. I don't know how he holds Chipotle here. If you want to come at me for saying Chipotle is overvalued, I'd buy it half of where it is. But... Uh, 
still he, he i thought he said he was looking for mature unicorns yeah that is what he said they're hard to is find a, is that a dating story? <laughs> yeah, I, I i read that the same thought occurred to me owned by match yep yeah no i think that is what he's looking for sure unicorns god dang that's isn't that is what we'll, that's the market that we're in right now <laughs> So there's going to be yeah. some good VC company that can't, Oops. you know, he might have a shot at this. I mean, you get some sort of uh, sell-off here or some sort of like prolonged malaise and maybe people don't want to go public and he can take somebody public and it's like a consumer tech company. I could see it. I just, I'm not going to just like give him money. I'd rather buy uh, units in Pershing Square. Yeah, that's fair. That, I think that's a much. Well, you could get it at a discount too. Yeah, that's why. That's what, I mean. If I was going to partner with him, that's probably how I'd do it. I got a good question here. Uh, any thoughts on Twitter stock with a recent subscription job posting? Do either of you guys hold it? No, I don't. I don't. Uh, I I don't know. I just uh, I read a couple expert interviews, and um, I just don't know that the company is going to be able to make the transition to a money-making company like it should be. And uh, the bulls would tell me I'm an idiot, and I really hope they're right because I love Twitter. I clicked on an ad five times over and over and over again, this fucking guy that was promoting a trading strategy. One, screw that guy. And two, I got to drive revenue to Twitter. The ads are so bad. Every time that guy's trading strategy comes up, I am clicking that promoted tweet just to close the window. The ads are so junky. It's unbelievable. It's like the lowest common denominator ads. That said, they got me to try Centio, and that would have been like a $6,000 recurring purchase. So, I mean, that's a pretty good ad to put in front of somebody, right? And then it was on Centio to convert. Most of the ads that I see are for like these little sites that sell gossip basically in advertising and you click on them and then it's just page after page of advertising. And so yeah. as soon as I see one, I just mute them and tell Twitter I don't like it. But I've done that 50 times. At some point, I'm like, Twitter's just not listening to what I'm telling it. I guess the problem is that uh, they didn't, like when you set up your Twitter account, they did not prioritize getting data on people. And now in order to get the data, they have to like go back and ask. But the product team whenever somebody pitches that from the monetization team, the product team's like, well, how does this actually improve their experience? So maybe Elliot can get in there and say, you got to make money in order to have a company. So this is why, but it seems to me as though in that business, uh, Jack really, really cares about the product much more than the monetization. And I think that's going to be a tough, tough hill to climb. Why can't that be the same thing? I don't think that that's the ethos, man. I mean, that's yeah, like that's asking why century thinking on your part. be efficient. I don't know. I mean, I'm betting on hopefully they do become efficient, but sometimes like, you know, culture just, you know, it's- But you it's say you care about the product and then you send me this, this dumb ad for some gossip site. Like you don't care about the product then is what that says to me. If you cared about the product, you, be, you do like Instagram, like Instagram's great. You scroll through Instagram, it sends you all this stuff that like they know who I am. They, they know- They got all the data though. Yeah, well- Twitter's got to look at what I'm writing and figure out what I like. Map that to other people. It can't be that hard. You're Come on. You're just going to get like, sent like a deep value smut. Yeah, all it just says is like... Well, that would be better than what I'm currently getting. Value. <laughs> yeah. When will it end? I still think it's a... I mean, it's, right. it's, I still Here's think a it's... a book on depression. We <laughs> value and stoicism. Yeah, stoicism. There we go. That's That would be helpful right. at this point. Daily stoicism. Um, so I, I, we're just, I'm waiting on a few more questions, but I got a, I just wanted to, Piper Sandler has this Tesla bit out and I just thought there's some funny stuff in here. I, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but they, they say that they have to, there are, the stock's up 260% year to date, 88 times after where it was in the, uh, in the IPO. Uh, S&P 500 inclusion seems likely. I don't know if that's true or not, but they're certainly, they, they've got a pretty good argument for being included. Um, so they're increasing their price target to 2,322 after adjusting our DCF model to reflect the faster than expected share gains and, <laughs> you know uh, like? and software. You know what I like? I like how uh, 
and and I do understand why this is the argument, and I don't necessarily think it's flawed, but I find it funny. You'll find these people that that are stuck in these businesses that are like just getting creamed, and the argument is like, well, one year doesn't really matter, but somehow all the acceleration that's come from the adoption of tech that matters a ton. Now it does, right? I mean, you have an inflection in your long-term growth rate theoretically, or you pulled it forward a lot, but feels like if the DCF doesn't matter in the front years to the negative side, it shouldn't really matter on the positive side either, right? Like if we're all just doing terminal value investing, who really cares about the uh, the growth front years? Year one. Yeah, or even two, three, four, right? I mean, I, I get it. I just don't fully get it if you understand what I'm saying. That terminal value value investing is kind of interesting, right? That's like there's a lot of you can make that terminal value slip around quite a lot. It's pretty sensitive to the inputs, so you, you well, you're a better investor than I am if you can get all that stuff right. The nice thing about the That's terminal value investing is, as your stock goes up, the narrative gets better and your TAM expands. There you go. <laughs> which is that nice. sounds good. Yeah, I wish I wish I knew how to play that game. I don't. I mean, does anyone? I, obviously, they are looking at these because they keep coming out, but. I mean, they've shown over and over and over again how bad these price targets are and how they're always trailing. They're always over-optimistic. They're Dude, never you, right. And, did you and see yet the Wells people, one? Which one? The Wells one? They literally know, said the stock is below Zero. our gray sky. Gray sky implies a pretty bad scenario, right? It's the bottom of their price range. The stock's below it, and they remain neutral. Okay. <laughs> I mean, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That if, you're, if you're changing your price target by $1,000 or, you know, <laughs> what were you doing before that then? And why should I listen to you now? Well, I think that I, my view on sell-side research is it's very, very good for information and very horrible for conclusions, which is basically what I think about the news, too. If you can filter out the opinion stuff and get in the facts – uh, you can get some decent info, but uh, once you start listening to the conclusions, you m might as well flip a coin. I like. Or, it, or I'm reminded of uh, Phil Tetlock's. He says that one of his heuristics is that any prediction that's more than five years out is like a godsend because you know you can ignore it right away. You don't have to even <laughs> talk, think about it. It's like a full like write it off to zero. It's nothing. So. The further out you see these, uh, you know, as they keep moving the goalpost to like, well, 2030 profitability, but wait, stick around for 2040. Now it's really cranking on 80% margins, yeah. uh, you know. That makes me feel better I mean, about the look, death of the universe. I've been, I've, yeah, that's not something to worry about, man. <laughs> we will all be ashes by then. We won't. We'll be broken down into our constituent atoms, which will have been broken down into their constituent parts. It's it's a really good documentary. You should you should enjoy it. You should watch it. In fact, everything breaks down to the point that there's nothing there, and then that is only the start of the life of the universe. Most of the life of the universe occurs after it's nothing. It just goes on forever, according to this, this documentary. This feels like equity. In order to save the equity, we have to kill the equity. Is this like the? In order to save the universe, we have to kill the universe. It's a cheery thought. Just before I hit the sack the other night. So here's a good question. Uh, thoughts on Berkshire's share buyback? Uh, the stock charity donations indicate BRK has repurchased shares recently. I saw something about that, but I didn't really, I didn't really dig into it. I don't, I don't know what's going on there. Jake, uh, I don't, I didn't, uh, I didn't look through the actual. I saw the headline, but I didn't dig into it. I mean. He's probably gonna. I mean, he'll buy something back if he wants to, or he won't. Like, it's it's not it's not uh, gonna be material. Shouldn't that probably shouldn't really change what you're what you're doing there if you own Berkshire? Well, I think it's so I cheap think, at the moment; it doesn't matter. I think you've got a ten billion dollar deal that he just did. It's unfathomable, uh, unfathomable to me that you don't have a hard insurance market coming up. Uh if the buff dog isn't deploying capital and a repurchase, I'm not going to second guess him here. And if he is, then that would be icing on the cake. But I, I think Berkshire is pretty set up for a pretty good run here. And I have 11% of my equity portfolio in it. So uh, I don't know what that indicates, but 
it's not a, an inconsequential bet for me. You got eleven percent in Berkshire. Yeah, it was down to six in March, and it is no longer six. You've rebought. I've. It's been interesting to watch it. I saw that uh, Musk passed Buffett on the billionaires list, but Buffett's given away some of his money. Um, but you know, Tesla's had a cracking run too, and and Musk hasn't sold. So full credit to Musk for for never selling down. He just borrows against his shares. Um, I hope Munger called Buffett and just like home. mentioned it. Like I hope that they have that kind of relationship where Munger is like, "So Warren, looks like Musk passed you. How's that feel?" <laughs> Feels very late cycle to me. I think I tweeted out top. I didn't even look at the responses because I just know it's going to be too gnarly. But uh, I, I think uh, I think we're getting closer to the end of the cycle than the start of the cycle. I don't. I mean, I don't know. Things like Tesla are confounding. I've always been, I mean, I've never been right on it, but like, this is stupid. And at some point, why can't it be a trillion dollar company? Like, why is that much different than $300 billion? We're, it's all, we're all just making up shit anyway. Like, let's go full bore. Yep. And on that cheery note. That's a good investment thesis. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like Asnes said to Toby, right? Once you've accepted that the world can be irrational, you can't just be like, oh, well, this is the point of irrationality. Like, this is it. This is just crazy. <laughs> oh, that we're, we're probably going to get demonetized again. Oh, demonetized true. again. You know uh, right but that's it. Thanks, folks. We'll see you. See you next week. Cause, cause, cause